0: In verse 9, for to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. goes on, why do you judge your brother? Uh, We shall all, the bottom, the last part of verse 10, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now this is different than the great white throne judgment. Everyone knows the difference between the two? The great white throne judgment, you do not want to ever stand there. The great, or the judgment seat of Christ, you do want to be there. There there are two different places. The great white throne judgment, all the dead, all the unsaved, all those who have died rejecting Christ, not having Jesus as Lord and Savior, not having been cleansed from sin uh, will stand before the great white throne judgment. All those, uh, and that is in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, that I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So anyone standing before the great white throne judgment is lost. There's no place for them. And it tells us in verse 13 that the sea and the dead gave up their de- uh They're dead. In verse 14, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the great white throne judgment. But this isn't what Paul's speaking of. He's speaking to you and I as believers. For we shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The scriptures say it is important unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. Everyone stands before a judgment, whether it be the great white throne judgment Or the judgment seat of Christ. It is appointed that everyone will die and everyone will stand before the judgment. The judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne judgment. So everyone must stand before Everyone has to give an account of their life and what they did. Uh, Now you and I, thankfully, we won't have to give an account of our sins, because they've been covered, but we will find out what of our life survived and was found to be precious, gold, silver. And we'll also find what was wood, hay, and stubble, Thought things that we thought we got some value out of, but our heart was in the wrong place. We did a great ministry, but we were causing our brother to stumble the whole time, and we got no credit for it whatsoever. It it wouldn't keep us from being in heaven, but we wouldn't see a reward from some things so we'll stand before the judgment seat of christ and paul is reminding these believers why is it that you stand as as judge over your brother when your brother has a judge and his name is jesus christ ultimately the lord that we live for will be the one that we stand before and that we'll give an account to you will and i will And every one of our brothers in Jesus Christ will all individually, one by one, stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and he'll examine our fruit. He'll examine our fruit. He is the master fruit inspector, and he will give crowns uh, for uh, certain rewards. Paul talks about looking forward to casting his crown before the Lord. Now, there's two Greek words for Lord here that are mentioned. Um we have one in verse 9, curio, to be lord of or to rule over, to have dominion over, uh, over things. And that's in verse 9, curio. And then verse 11, we have another, as I live, says the Lord, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, and this is curios, he to whom a person or thing belongs, uh, he who has power of deciding. So, We have two different, uh, the first one in verse 9, to have dominion over, to have dominion over, that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. Now uh, Jesus, even though, I should say not, not look at Jesus, let's take a look at anyone who has already died in Christ, right? Remember when Stephen is being stoned today it's said that he fell asleep. He's Part of the dead. The scriptures tell us the dead in Christ will rise first, right? The dead in Christ. Uh, That's speaking of the physical body being dead. Jesus is lord over all those whose physical bodies. um, Take a look at Chuck Smith has just gone just gone to be a home with Lord, right? Chuck's body would still be in a casket, or well, actually, didn't they? They actually. I think they threw, what did they do? I can't even remember what they did with, with Chuck. But uh, I know they had the big surfer thing out in the water, but I don't, I don't know, did they put his ashes out there? I don't remember that. Um, I mean, I watched, his, I watched his memorial service and everything, but I couldn't tell you what they, had. I don't think Chuck cared what they did with his body, but you know, he's like, look, I'm going to be with the Lord. But his body is physically dead, and the Lord is Lord over those whose bodies have physically died. Remember, because uh, Jesus said, the pharisees when they were mistaken he said i am not over god over the dead but of the living i remember he said i am the god of abraham isaac and jacob back in the old testament and jesus actually helped them understand that god was saying i am the god of abraham isaac and jacob though their bodies were physically dead everyone understood they went to funerals or we understand them to be no longer with us But Jesus is Lord over those who have physically died that are in his presence, because Paul said to be absent from the body is to what? Be present with the Lord. And he's also Lord over those that are still living, like us, that are here worshiping tonight. So this word here, curio, to be Lord over, to rule over, have dominion, Jesus stands in dominion over us that are still alive and over the throne room of heaven, those that have gone before us, Pastor Chuck, Paul, Peter, John the Baptist, all those, he is the Lord over, he rules and reigns over our lives and over those that are in his presence. But he also, curios. verse 11, as I live, says the Lord, he's the one that has the power to decide. He will decide what is good fruit and what is not good fruit. He will decide what will be rewarded and what won't be rewarded. Again, if I'm in the pulpit tonight with the wrong heart attitude, I may get no credit. I hope I'm in the right heart attitude, but nevertheless, there is that uh, deciding that Jesus and Jesus alone will make. And then you have issues that each individual has liberty. If you're here with us last week, there's things that you have liberty in. And sometimes one person's liberty bothers the other. I know you can't seem to relate to that, because all of you are so pure in all of your thinking and actions, but, but some people, not like us here, but some people actually get agitated when someone else's liberty is used, right? There is no commandment, you know, there is no commandment, we'll talk about this a couple of times tonight, there's no commandment specifically, thou shalt be at Wednesday night service, and some people have liberty and are doing something else for the Lord tonight. Now, it is true. The scriptures are clear. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. But even more so, as you see the day approaching, gather together. So we should desire. But, but people in liberty, I remember uh, when, I was, um, when I was newly saved... Uh, we would not be able to go on a Wednesday night service. Once I could, I went on a Wednesday night service. Once I had grown the Lord, my pastor down in Charlotte North, Charlotte, North Carolina, on Wednesday nights, I wasn't going to the He sent me to a halfway house to teach. Right? Anyone that didn't see me there might say, I thought you valued these nights, but I was actually teaching somewhere else. But you can have liberty if God puts something in your path Something he wants you to do ministry wise, you have liberty to follow his will and to follow it. And other people might critique it or nitpick it. And Paul is saying, hey, some things, again, they're not sin issues. We're not talking about adultery or lying or stealing or cheating. Some things, you have to let another brother and sister of Christ hear from the Lord and allow the Lord to guide and direct what they do uh, with their time and at the end of the day, Paul says they're going to stand before Christ, and if they're wrong on this, they'll find out. Uh, If it's not something that's harmful and sinful, uh, then the Lord will show this to them over time. But it is important that we realize, he goes on to say, for I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess to God, so then each shall give an account of himself to God. Now this is where it's important that we must teach the whole counsel of God, that I must teach the Word of God, that you must read the Word of God on your own, that you must apply the Word of God, because the Word of God is what ultimately will convict us, will teach us, will instruct us, and sometimes, again, our liberties may change over time where the Lord says, that was okay for you while you were young and immature, but this is what I want you to advance to now in your walk. In Psalm 119.9, Which Psalm one nineteen is just not only the longest book of the Bible, but a fantastic, or or chapter of the Bible, but a fantastic uh, study in just kind of what the Word of God does as far as revealing things to us. One nineteen nine. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed to your Word? When, when I can instruct Christians to get into the Word and allow the Word to minister and to convict. And to the comfort, they will, over time, mature in their convictions. but not at the expense, again, having a care and a concern for others, not at the expense of stepping on the toes of others that may not already be at the same place. And again, they may not ever come to the same place in certain things. It might be OK. For you to have, we talked about this last week, it might be okay for you to have a glass of wine. It might never be okay for one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, between them and the Lord. And we'll get to that at the end of the chapter as well, as far as the conscience goes. But your liberty may not be somebody else's liberty. But there is clarity that something like a glass of wine in and of itself is not wicked is not sin. Um, I know that some people, say Jesus turned the, the water into grape juice, um, perhaps, but I don't think uh, any rendering, I, I really do believe we're talking about uh, wine. And the abuse of wine, scriptures are clear about, be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be what? Be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, any, any drunkenness, any... Misuse uh, is absolutely sin because we actually no longer think correctly. We're not under the power and influence of the Lord. We're now under the power and influence of a controlled substance. But in and of itself, the Scriptures don't mandate that nobody could have even a sip. You have a Nazarite vow? They had to take that vow, didn't they? They couldn't couldn't let... Not only could they not let wine, they couldn't even let grape juice. You know, they just stay away from the, anything with the vineyard as a whole. They also, uh, the Nazarites didn't cut their hair. That used to be a big deal years ago. Certain churches. Boy, if you had long hair, you were definitely a heathen. Remember those days? You were definitely going to hell if you had long hair. And then somewhere along the way, people uh, realized, uh, I guess that's not uh, not one of those things that uh, is a immediate uh, air, uh, area for condemnation, but maybe there's liberty there that you that you can, if you want to have a short marine haircut, go for it. If you want to have it a little over the years or down, if you want to wear a mullet, uh, have at it. You know, I used to have one, but I wouldn't recommend them, by the way. But there's liberty. And each person will stand before the Lord on their own for things pertaining to individual preferences or things that the Lord has given a freedom for one person over another. And and again, I think there's places that that it doesn't make sense when you're going to serve in a certain area. You know, you go back to somebody like um, uh, Hudson Taylor when he goes to China. He could have worn a suit but he chose to dress like the chinese why because he thought they would have a lot more respect that he respected their culture enough to dress like them but he could have said i have liberty i don't i don't have to wear this i'm bringing the gospel i got something y'all need so i'll wear what i want to wear but he lays that aside Each of us will stand before the Lord. So rather than take non-essential things and divide, sometimes dividing as groups and sometimes just dividing two people, one with another. I've seen this where people that even had a good relationship will take one conviction and divide over it. And this is not what the Lord wants. Each person... Will stand before the Lord. Paul says in Second Corinthians five, verses eight through ten. Second Corinthians five verses eight through ten, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. Well pleasing to him, the Lord, for we must all stand or all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And as the Holy Spirit speaks to us, he will speak to us over time and say, that will not advance my kingdom. That could cause harm. Lay that aside. Put that aside. Verse 13, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this to not put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. This let us not judge anymore, it means, uh, the, the Greek word is kreno, uh, to separate, or to pick out, or to split asunder, that judging in such a way that actually is divisive, it's not building anyone up, it's not encouraging them, it's not strengthening their walk in Christ, it's, not, it's simply just discouraging someone and separating and causing some sort of divide which is just unnecessary. Let us not judge anymore. Rather resolve not to put a stumbling block. Again, we talked about last week that the, pre- the previous chapter tells us that sin is still very much sin. We're not talking about things that God would not condone. Obvious sin issues must be dealt with, but issues of preference, how long someone's hair is, you know, whether they can buy a new car and you can't, right? Right? whether they can spend X amount of money on a watch and you can't. All of these things God will reveal in time, and sometimes it's just people's immaturity in the faith. They, they come out of the gates. Uh, they don't have a conviction in certain areas, but over time they will. Philippians 3.15 speaks of this. Philippians 3.15 says, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything... And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. There's certain things. I mean, when I first got saved, I would challenge almost anybody on anything that I thought I read in Scripture. I know you find that shocking, but I would. If I read it in Scripture and I heard something that remotely sounded different, I would bring it up with someone. And then over time, I realized that other people are reading especially when they really are people trying to pursue the Lord and you you knew that they were also trying to walk in Christ if there was something that was not obvious to them I wouldn't bring it up But God God'll show them in good timing you know it's one of those things that Lord it's not that important I'm just going to create you know friction with someone when when God is revealing to them they still like to watch so and so on TV okay I saw one episode that I could tear it apart, but they haven't seen that episode, right? So, but when they see it, maybe it'll hit them. And they'll say, "Wow, I don't think I should watch it." I've had that happen when I've just and you can always just pray for the person. How about that? Just pray for the person, that we don't need to be the Holy Spirit on every single thing, and sometimes we're not acting and we have the Holy Spirit. We're acting on behalf of Satan because he is the one that is the sower of discord among the brethren. I've seen Christians in good love try and explain to another Christian why drinking that Frappuccino is costing you money, it's doing this, doing that, you know. And there may be legitimacy to it, but some of those things you're just going to have to let the Holy Spirit show somebody. Because there's really big fish to fry like sharing the gospel, walking in love, right, ministering to other people and not destroying every little thing. It's good for us to re- re- reread these things, all of us, isn't it? Because we can get a little bit puffed up in our own walk with the Lord, can't we? And usually not even recognizing it. It's just an attitude, just something we think. It's, it's a way that something bristles us. Let's take a look at why this is so important in this next section, the law of love. It may be in your Bible that way. I've titled our next bullet point, Our Love, verses 14 and 15, just these two verses. Where Paul says, I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. He's speaking most specifically here of food. We'll come back to that point in one second. He goes on to say, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. So it's clear, but in the context of verse 14 and 15, Paul's talking about dietary issues. What was okay to eat, what's not okay to eat. Anyone ever watch that show, Bizarre Foods? I love that show. I mean, I love watching the things that, that people around the world eat. I don't want to eat most of them, but I do think it, it's fascinating because since I was a kid, I love maps. I love geography. I've enjoyed travel uh, around the United States and parts of the world. And, and the things people eat, the cultures, it's so amazing that we all come from Noah and his wife. And we could be as different as we are. Looks, taste, dress. Culture. I mean, God has, in some sense, a great sense of humor, but also a great sense of diversity when you look at the landscape and all these different things. But if you were Jewish and you encountered some of those things, they would look at those things and say, We'll never touch that. Food, dietary, Moses gave us the law. Now, first off, when it's speaking about food, What's clean, what's unclean? There's nothing unclean related to food under the cross or since the cross. But there certainly was under the law. How many of you read the first five books of the Bible, the, the Torah? There was plenty of unclean things under the law related to food or dietary. Even before the law was given, we see in Genesis 7, verses 7 through 8, the Scriptures speak of both clean and unclean animals that Noah brought on the ark. It says that he bought, brought both clean and unclean animals. Now, whether this was understood by Noah, that Noah actually understood, even at that time, well before the law, that there were clean and unclean animals, or Moses was referencing that for the distinction of his Jewish readers, which would have been the first people to get their hands on the Torah, we don't know. Either one or possible, that Noah did know it, or that Moses wrote it that way because he knew that as his people would read the Torah, they would immediately remember, oh yeah, clean and unclean. It was just another additive reminder. Either, in either case, it's the first place we see the mention of it, and then obviously when the law is given, it's really highlighted. One of the areas, that we see two different areas of unclean food. One's related to idolatry, and one is related to certain animals. In Exodus 34, we just finished the book of Exodus just a few weeks back. Exodus 34, verses 14 through 15, you'll remember the Lord said, "'For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God.'" lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you to eat of his sacrifice. In other words, invite you to eat meat that was sacrificed to a false or pagan god. God says, that's a warning. If you go on land, you're going to begin eating the food that has been sacrificed to their gods. So a Jew or a Hebrew would look and remember that God warned about food that was sacrificed to idols you also have the dietary requirements of the law of what would be kosher what would be allowed to be eaten for a jewish person and what they could not eat and that's very specific in leviticus chapter 11 it's also in deuteronomy as well Uh, leviticus 11 verses 12 through 16 says this whatever in the water does not have fins or scales That shall be an abomination to you. You can't eat a manatee in in those days if you're Jewish. You wouldn't be allowed to eat a dolphin. Right? It says, whatever in the water does not have fins or scales shall be an abomination to you. No seals. Right? Fins and scales. If it doesn't have fins or scales, fins or scales. I don't know about the seal. It does have fins, doesn't it? (laughs) So maybe the seal was okay. But it goes on and says, and these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They're an abomination. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard. I'm sure a lot of you have always wanted to eat buzzard, but if you were Jewish in those times, it was off limits. The kite, the falcon after its kind. Every raven after its kind. The ostrich, sorry if you like ostrich meat, which is now popular in a lot of stores. These also shall be unclean. It goes on uh, in the, the uh, 30, 29th, 29th and 30th verses. It says, these shall be, also shall be unclean to you. Creeping things that creep on the earth, the mole, the mouse, as delicious as that would be, and the large lizard after its kind, the gecko, the gecko commercial animal you can't eat, The monitor lizard, the sand reptile, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. Chameleons look delicious. They change colors, but you couldn't eat them if you were Jewish. And that's just a, I'm not reading the entire chapter, that's just a sampling of what they couldn't eat. Uh, Many other animals were off limits. In fact, most animals were off limits. Most animals were off limits. (laughs) Percentage-wise, they had a a healthy chunk of things that they could eat, but percentage-wise, most things were off the table for those under the law, those under the Mosaic law. Cows, sheep, goats, they were all okay. But many other things. They couldn't eat lions or horses. Centipedes had too many legs. They had all kinds. I mean, these things are written. I mean, you can read... Certain animals are spelled out, and other ones are boxed out by definition. Again, as the first verse, whatever in the water does not have fins or scales. Makes it really clear. So these things they couldn't eat, and they were clear under the law. So any Jewish person coming to Christ, if they had studied the, if they had studied the Tanakh, or most specifically the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, they knew that, hey, Moses warned about food that was cooked for sacrifice of idols in Exodus 34. Moses also said, we can't have this, 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 and this, and these Romans are over here eating sliced pork. It smells great, but we know we can't have it, or we'll lose our salvation. That, that was the extent. And some were actually preaching that. You had a couple of things you better not violate. You better not violate circumcision. You better not violate the Sabbath, which Paul addressed, one day, steaming one day over another. And you better not violate food requirements. This is what, again, if a Jewish person coming out of uh, a life of following the law comes under grace, they, without being taught, would immediately apply that to anyone else and say, Must be circumcised. And they were telling Gentiles they had to get circumcised. Can't eat these certain foods. And oh, by the way, you must meet on the seventh day of the week. No more meeting on the first day of the week. All of these things. But the diet here specifically. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. The Jewish diet, although it was finite, you have the Gentile diet of anything goes. And so both sides coming under Christ have to walk in love with the other and recognize the Jewish person that maybe like Paul has come to the maturity of saying, under Christ, these things are abolished, but my younger Jewish brother here is still intensely focused on eating the things that were approved by Moses. Therefore, if I invite him over for a meal, I'm going to stick to what's kosher. Because we can then stay in the Spirit and discuss things of the Spirit and discuss things of the Lord without causing him issues. And... If you're inviting a Gentile person over that just recently was heavily involved in paganism and idolatry, and they said, I will never, no, never eat steak that was offered to Apollos ever again. And you say, hey, I got a great deal. These steaks were offered to Apollos. They were half off today. And you're losing them too. So both Jewish and Gentile both had, both had some areas where food could be, A real stumbling block do not destroy your your do not destroy with your food one for whom christ died you're no longer walking in love think about where they're at as i mentioned christ though has abolished the ceremonial food requirements of the law under the giving of his blood and grace Peter found this out, we don't have time to read it, but you can read about it in Acts eleven five 5-9, when Peter was, a great sheet came down from heaven and all kinds of creeping things, and, and Peter said, I've never eaten, Lord, because the Lord told him to rise and kill and eat, and Peter said, I've never eaten that kind of garbage in my whole life, I've never eaten anything unclean. I've kept myself pure, and I still, even, even after salvation, the Lord says, it's okay. What God has called clean is, recognizing that the Gentiles would be grafted in and were being grafted in to the faith and the Gentiles could eat these other things and it was actually okay, especially as, this would be especially important if you were a Jewish apostle or one of the disciples and you went to another part of the world like Thomas who goes to India where he was martyred, right? Goes to India and he's killed for the faith there. Well, when he gets to India, the people aren't going to say, Thomas, can we cook you some kosher food? He's going to have to eat what they offer. Sometimes it'll be kosher by accident, and sometimes it won't be. But he couldn't cause them to stumble when they come into Christ and, hey, you guys can't eat that anymore and you can't eat this anymore. Loving the heart and the soul and caring about the individual, and recognizing that Christ has put these things, the ceremonial requirements, the righteousness of the law. If you look at the essence of the righteousness of the law, the purity of the law, the Ten Commandments, the given feast specifically for Israel, these did not go away. You understand that those didn't go away. The righteousness of the law... The purity of the law, the Ten Commandments, the giving of feasts specifically for Israel as a nation state, not the church. Israel as a nation did not go away, but the Jewish believer could now eat things that were outside of the dietary aspects of the law and not be violating God's holy law. There was a difference, a distinction but they still may not want to. It would be both wise and loving not to do so what you want to do in any situation. My messianic friends, you guys have met Sam and others that come here, um, they have to live this out, or they choose to live this out. The Lord has revealed them to live this out on a regular basis. Much more, it's not something I... uh, I actually think this text is not something that most of us deal with that often. Not as it relates to food. I'm going to get to where it's some areas where we do deal with it. Uh, but food is not one that I think that most of us deal with. Uh, I can't remember being offended by any of the things you guys have put in front of me ever. And taste doesn't count. <laughs> that's, that's just, oh, this doesn't taste what I... That's not offended by it. It's just there are certain things that we taste we don't like, but that's not offended by it. not like we walk out, storm out there. I'll never go there. They put chicken nuggets in front of me or whatever it is. But my Messianic Jewish friends, such as Sam or Scott Brown or Dr. Hertz, they willingly choose. They choose not to eat pork, shellfish, other non-kosher foods. Why? Not because they can't eat them. They can't eat them. They choose not to eat them. I've even been, you know, I've been with some of them out to dinner and, and uh, you know, as best we can tell, there's not a Jewish person right around. Not that we would know one way or the other of the other tables. At our table, there was definitely not the tables. But the, the possibility that one of these brothers could talk to someone at another, another table, and if they found out he was Jewish eating a pork sandwich, they immediately will disengage And so it's putting a wedge where there's not needed. So not just just stumbling uh, our brothers and sisters, but also making sure we keep open doors with those that are not yet in Christ. And again, our our, um, Messianic Jewish brethren live by this quite a bit, choosing not to eat these things. And it's not out of legalism, but it's out of love. A love for the lost. A love for other brothers that are still not mature in the faith. They don't want their liberty to be a hindrance to those that have come to faith in Messiah and those that still are outside of grace, that still have not come to faith in Messiah, but still believe very much. Many non-believing Jews are very adamant about dietary things. Very adamant. I've worked with them, and they pay great attention to things like that. And if this would be a hindrance, it's not worth it. Same true holds for um, the Gentile as well. We want to we make sure that uh, there's nothing in our uh, food or drink that would stumble. And Probably the one that's the most, as I mentioned already, is, is probably alcohol. You know, what what is the Lord told you on that? For some, God said, never touch it again. Don't even put a sip near it. And some people, that's a good thing anyway, because if they take a sip, they can't take just a sip true, some people they should know that stay away from other people um, hey, you can have a glass of wine but maybe having it at a restaurant is not a good idea because it's just going to be bothersome for someone that walks up and says, I thought you were a Sunday school teacher I thought you followed the Lord you're a wine owl." no, no, no uh, this is a half a glass, and I'm having it with steak. Too late. They've, already draw, they've walked away and drawn their own conclusion. They didn't say you're a wino. They just thought it. So we have to be careful with these things. I'm not telling you. Uh, that's your li- that's, it, I, it's not, I shouldn't say that's your liberty. You have liberty. It's not your liberty. You have liberty. The Holy Spirit tells you what you must do. That makes sense you have liberty, but only to the extent the Holy Spirit says okay we'll get to that in the last the last two verses are very clear on that if the Holy Spirit is not said okay, you cannot say well there's liberty in this there's not it's not carte blanche liberty there is liberty, but then the Holy Spirit speaks to each individual person we don't make our decisions based on someone else this but Last thing on walking in love. Obviously, love for the potential unsaved Jewish brother, love for the newly saved Jewish brother, love for the lost person when it relates to a glass of wine or something. But there's other things, too, I think this applies in our day. Paul was speaking mostly with food or drink here and I, and, and the, uh, in the day of the week, what we covered last week, uh, related to what day we choose to worship. But I think the same love and discernment Needs to be exercised today in a lot of other areas. Things like our modern forms of communication. I think a lot, we have liberty. It's not a sin to send such and so an email. It's not a sin to post such and so on Facebook or Twitter or that. But just because we have liberty doesn't mean it's the best thing to do. That makes sense? Everything we say, every text we send, every email we send, everything we post to social media sites, are we walking in love? That's probably more in our wheelhouse today in the modern United States era, as a body of Christ. For the most part, I don't think food and drink is as big a deal, though it's not irrelevant, it's still relevant in some respects. But for most, this type of thing is what we're... Posting love. I, I, I notice Christians today will take almost any information they receive and give it straight back out. Sometimes not realizing that's not even accurate. So we have liberty, but we also want to have discernment, discretion, <laughs> and also, is it loving? Is it going to build people up? Is it going to encourage people? I think we have to be Understanding that some things, again, you might have some uh, understanding of an area and someone else may not, and they'll misread, misinterpret what it is you're saying, and it can cause them to stumble. I think there's a tremendous amount of potential for brothers and sisters stumbling each other over today's modern forms of communications. And I came from a technology company, I, and I, I use Twitter, I use Facebook, I use email, I use tech, I use all this stuff. I think they do some good things, but I think I personally, and every other Christian, needs to understand our liberties in those things must be restrained by the Holy Spirit, or it just can be everything from nonsense, to a nuisance, to misinformation, to... Beating a drum about a specific area or issue over and over again to the point where people don't listen to you. All these things—they're all potential, and they can cause other people to stumble. Especially if somebody says, "I I thought our number one focus is is the gospel and Christ." Just something to consider. Lastly, that was walking in love. Lastly, our limitations, verses sixteen through twenty-three our limitations. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. I think, again, our intentions could be right, but if we're not walking under the power and control of the Holy Spirit, the intention may not come out that way. Don't let your good be spoken as evil. We have no one to blame but ourselves a lot of times when our good is spoken of as evil. If the Lord said, yes, you had liberty, but you didn't exercise it where, when, and how I said to. You thought liberty meant I could just do anything anytime I want. We have liberty in the way we can worship, but that doesn't mean we should worship the same in every single place. There's called decorum, understanding of the situation. Don't let your good be thought of as evil. You pontificate about something, or even if you didn't mean to in the wrong setting, people will think you're pontificating. And then what was meant to be good, they look at it as something less than good. We have our limitations here spelled out for us. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is not doing what you're allowed to do. The kingdom of God is not doing what... Uh, comes natural to you. The kingdom of God is not doing things that aren't sin. The kingdom of God is peace, joy, and what does it say? In the Holy Spirit. Where there's a lack of the Holy Spirit, there's dissension, there's no discretion, there's lack of discernment, but where there is the Holy Spirit, there's joy and peace. The kingdom of God. "...in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore let us pursue the things which make peace." It goes on to say, "...which edify one another." We're pursuing things that not we're allowed to do. We're pursuing things that edify others. Don't destroy the work of God, verse 20, for the sake of food, or the sake of internet, or the sake of a personal conviction, or the sake of fill in the blank. Don't destroy the work of God for things that aren't all that important. He goes on to say here in verse 21, it's good neither to, It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything which caused your brother to stumble or is offended or is made weak. Paul's saying, it would be good for you to give up anything that would cause people to waver in their faith, to weaken in their faith. If they weaken in their faith, they could end up walking right away from the Lord and from the body of Christ. It's, it's better to give anything up that would cause them to do that. But I have liberty to do it. Paul would say, so what? And Jesus would say, so what? You have liberty as I give it to you, not a blank check. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. Our limitations. What do I mean by that? The priority for the believer is Christ, his glory, his witness, his church, his purpose. And because the priority are these things that exalt Christ, it causes us to gladly limit ourselves for Him. To gladly limit ourselves for Him. In so many areas. If you're with a, a new believer in Christ, and they're so fired up for the Lord, and, and you, you heard them, t- and they say, Man, I, I, I think every Christian, every Christian, should sell everything they have. And go to the mission field tomorrow. Do you want to quench that? No. So even if you could afford to go to some really nice fancy restaurant, you probably wouldn't take them there because that would drive them bananas. I thought I thought we I thought we would give all of that to India and to Africa and all these places and that's And they're actually, I'd much rather people be where they're at. But you'd want to be careful and conscious of where someone is at. His glory, His purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 through 33, a very important passage. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 31 through 33. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, Again, it's not just about eating and drinking. It is inclusive of all the other things that become known as gray areas. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If you can't do it to the glory of God, that should be a red flag to you. Do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to the Greeks, that's everybody, or to the church of God. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. Just as I also please all men and all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Paul's like, everything I do, the glory of God, I wouldn't offend the body of Christ. I wouldn't cause non believers, both Jew or Gentile, to stumble and not come to faith in Christ. I want to do all things that please the Lord, the profit of many that they may be saved. And if I have to limit my liberties, Paul would say, I'm okay with that. If I have to limit my liberties, I'm with a brother and sister, and I know they are not fans of TV. They come over our house, hey, let's watch six hours of TV with you. I mean, some of this should be common sense, but it's not always, is it? It's not always common sense. What do we do In love, how do we meet our brothers and sisters where they're at? All of you could be somewhere else tonight. Maybe you wish you were, I don't know. All of you could be somewhere else tonight. But you're here, I suppose, because you love God and you love His Word. Or at least you're committing to love God and to love His Word, even if you don't have the full. I can say without a question that I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I love His Word. All of us have some chinks in that armor, don't we? But you're here because you are trying to be obedient to the Lord in these areas. And we're meeting with our brothers and sisters as well. They're all here with you to do the same, to worship the Lord together. But for those who are maturing... They see not only the obedience to god that he says gather and you say yes lord Trust and obey right lord says gather and you say yes, I will And that is the most important The most important thing is obeying god and doing what he says and worshiping him for he's worthy but as you mature The second great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself If you get the vertical one, right god will give you horizontal vision You'll never love god and not see others the people that don't see others don't love God. But if you love the Lord, you will see others. You'll think about others. And you know that your gathering together to worship also has an impact on other people. I can't count how many times I've been saved since 1995. I got it right? Yeah. I don't know why I always want to say 96, but it's been nine, since 95. I can't, can't count how many times. Uh, since I've been saved in 90, 95 that there was times where in my flesh I did not want to go to a certain church function. Maybe it was a Wednesday night. Maybe it was a Sunday morning. Maybe it was an outreach. Maybe it was some study or Bible study or men's thing. Something I didn't want to go to, which has been many, many times. Number one, the Lord would tell me, you go for me. But he also would there's a second thing that he would often bring into my thinking. He, he, he's number one far and away. And then the distant second was everybody else. But everybody else did, did factor into the equation where it would be like the Lord would you know just put in my heart, you know, if I stay away, what happens if two or three other people do? And a couple other people do. And a couple other people do. And we all think the same way someone that's really there to say, "Wow, well, I'm gathering my brother, will be very discouraged and say, why should I bother? And the Lord would always say, put on your boots, military style, not, not literal boots, I'm metaphorically here, and go and be standing in the gap and be there to minister to other people. I can't count how many times that I knew that I ended up somewhere, not so much because of me, not that I didn't get ministered to. In every situation, I always receive something. But in most cases, Lord had me go and continues to have me go to give something, to keep someone else from being discouraged, to help somebody else say, man, I'm glad you're here too, and to come together. We have some liberty, but we put our liberty, we check it at the door, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit might say, yes. I would give you liberty any other time, but I want you to be there, do this, minister to someone else. Our liberty always has limitations. Always. And you have to be open to God changing and limiting anything that in and of itself may not be sin, but it might be sin to you because the Holy Spirit says you cannot do that. You cannot go there. You can't buy that. You can't have a drink of that. You can't go to that uh, office party, uh, or you can't do this. Every situation, check it with the Lord. The Holy Spirit will guide. He will be clear. No man lives unto himself. That was earlier in the same chapter. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 23 through 24, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Yeah, Paul could say, it's okay if I don't show up, but what about them? So I'll be there. But Paul, you already know the whole Bible. Why do you need to be there? You can stay home and let the the newbies figure it out, right? I said, no, no. It may not be something that I specifically need, but they need it. I'll be there. But Paul, you can have a, you can have a bite of that. Not under the law. That's true, but this guy is going to lose it if I do that. And I've, I'm making progress discipling him, and there's no reason for us to go backwards when we're going forward, all of these things, all things are lawful, but not all helpful. Boy, couldn't we apply that to everything? Is this email I'm about to send helpful? Well, I'm, I'm glad I've learned that rule of um, wait a day. I've written some re- long things that end up never leaving my inbox. And then sometimes I wonder, why did I even write this? This is over the years. Not so much lately, thankfully. Over time, I've gotten better. But but the Lord would tell me, sleep on that one. And the next morning, I'm like, this isn't going to be helpful to anybody. A lot of times, God lets us write those things because he's having us dig the well deeper in our own self. The thing that bothers you and someone else is usually probably in yourself. Last point here. Last two verses. Um, you, may end up, you may end up seeing someone else's liberty. And your eyes are open and say, hey, I didn't realize that was okay. I'd like to do that. The Holy Spirit says, you can't. But I know two godly people that like to watch that show. You can't. Well, they are, so I guess I can. You can Anything not done from faith is sin. Again, if your conscience is still bothering you, that's the Lord saying, I've moved you past that. I don't want you there. It's wasting your time. If they want to waste their time on it, I'm working on them too. I'm just giving, there's plenty of examples. Something that is, something that we're struggling with, but we realize other Christians are able to do it, so we assume that, yeah, why am I beating myself up about this? I know there's a men's Bible study, and but those guys go hunting every day on that day. So I guess it's okay. It might be for them, but if the Holy Spirit is saying not for you, you can't. Make sense? There's certain things that you'll see that maybe you even gave up, and you say, why did I give this up when 9 out of 10 Christians are not following this? The Holy Spirit might still say, I don't care if 10 out of 10 are. For you, no. But don't go use that as some spiritual highbrow and beat, beat other people up like the Pharisees. If you really think it's something that has really dr- br- brought you nearer to Christ, pray and God will give the right forum or the right format or the right opportunity Uh, to teach that, but it'll be probably something that the Lord will really clearly open that door without, uh, you know, cramming it down someone's throat. Let's close in prayer.